right. Well, we've been here on Wednesday night doing a series in the book of James that we call Be Mature. And we're going to continue in a series that we had in James chapter 1, verses 26 to 27, simply called this, How to Stop Deceiving Ourselves and Share the Word. Share the Word is what we're going to talk about tonight. So this is the last of the three-part teaching based on James 1, 19 to 27, teaches us how to stop deceiving ourselves and how to start producing fruit. How many of you out there would love to produce fruit in your life for Christ? Fruit that will last. How many want to produce much fruit in your life? Amen. That's what the Lord wants for us. So how do we deceive ourselves? Real quick on a recap. First of all, we can deceive ourselves by thinking that we are saved when we are not in Matthew chapter 7, verse 21, Jesus said these words, Not everyone who calls out to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Only those who actually do the will of my Father in heaven will enter. Wow. Others are believers who fool themselves into thinking that they are spiritually mature when they are not. Revelation 3.17 says it like this to the church in Laodicea. You say, I am rich. I have everything I want. I don't need a thing, and you don't realize that you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. What a charge against this church. And it's sometimes we act the same way. We think we already know the answer. We already got things down. We're already set. But how many know there's more that we can do to mature and know about the Lord? So we've, have, we've learned two things so far about how to stop self-deception. And tonight we're going to go into the third thing, which is receive the word or, or to share the word of God. So let me read to you James chapter 1, verses 26 to 27 says this. If you claim to be religious, but do not control your tongue, you are fooling yourself and your religion is worthless. Pure and genuine religion in the sight of God the Father means caring for orphans and widows in their distress and refusing to let the world corrupt you. Let's say a quick prayer. Lord, we just ask that you would touch this message tonight, that we would receive these truths into our heart, that we would apply them, and that we would grow through them. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so the word religion in this passage in James, it simply means this here. It means the outward practice. The service of a God. You know, the same word was used in Greek four other times in the New Testament. Okay, actually one other time even in this passage. And all four of those other times, it is most often translated as the word worship. Worship. So the word religion here that James uses, pure and faultless religion, that same word in the Greek is translated as worship four other times. So you kind of get the idea. James is saying here this, if you claim to worship and serve God, but if you claim and to worship and serve God, but you don't control your tongue and so on, you see pure and genuine religion has nothing to do with great cathedrals or temples or ceremonies or holy days, or traditions, or special clothing. I think we all get that. I hope we get that. It's not about outward appearances, right? 
Pure and genuine religion means practicing God's word and sharing it with others and through speech, through service, and separation from the world. That last part, separation from the world, needs some clarification. You see, separation from the world doesn't mean from the physical world or from the people of this world. It means from the world's ways of thinking, its practices, which are godless and sin-based. There are many things that the people of this world believe in and practice that Christians should not. It's amazing, but when I look around at our world today, this is something that has to be stated. Some people will be like, well, that's obvious. But to me, when I look at how some people think today, I don't think it's that obvious. Listen, there are things the world believes in. There are things the world practices that Christians should not. 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 and 16 says this, do not love this world, nor the things that it offers you. For when you love the world, you do not have the love of the Father in you. For the world offers only a craving for physical pleasure, a craving for everything we see, and a pride in our achievements and our possessions. These are not from the Father, but are from this world. See, Christians should base their beliefs and they're thinking on the teachings of Scripture and practice what it says instead of simply practicing what the world says just to get along. Listen, Christians, I want you to be emboldened. I, I want you to understand, and non-Christians, if you're watching this, I want you to begin to understand what the Christian life is all about, what that call to Christ, to come follow Christ, is all about, because it's a courageous life. It's a bold life that Christ is calling us to. He's not calling us to a comfortable life, but a brave, bold, and courageous life, and to follow after Him in His ways. He is the one, after all, who created us, and he created us in his image, and he created us to be with him because he is a God of relationship, and he created us to be in community with one another. We do not live alone as, in, as just in this individualism. God has created us for community. He himself is community. He is known as Trinity. He is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, one God. So this is something we need to get into our hearts and understand that it is the scriptures, God's holy word, that we should base our practices on. And not only practice what the Bible says, but to share it in speech and in service to others. Maybe you're out there right now, Christians, and I'm telling you, you might be afraid to share your beliefs. You may be afraid to share what the Bible has to say. It is, after all, a kind of a hostile environment that we are in in this world, especially today. But I want to encourage you, listen, God wants you to be bold. He wants to empower you by the Holy Spirit, and you can not only put into practice what the Bible says, but you can share it with your words, and you can do it most effectively when you serve others in following the scriptures. This is pure religion. False religion would be to claim to worship God, but then to compromise on the teachings of the word, never share it with others, and never serve others based on its teachings. Did you catch that? So if pure religion 
is that when you say you're a follower of Jesus and that you're a worshiper of God and you actually do put into practice those things that God says and you serve others, if that is pure religion, then false religion is when you claim to worship God and yet you never put into practice what he says and you never serve others in doing those things that he's called you to do. We are really deceiving ourselves when we compromise our beliefs and practices just to get along with others and live comfortably. Christians, listen, we should not have to compromise to live in peace with others, but we do live in a time when living out and sharing our Christian beliefs can be very uncomfortable. C.S. Lewis once said this, if you want a religion to make you feel really comfortable, I certainly don't recommend Christianity. Boy, is that true. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 14 says this, Work at living in peace with everyone. I want you to hear that. This is something that we hear, and we wonder what it would take to actually live in peace with everyone these days. Have you thought about that? Would it be hard? What would that look like? How could we live at peace with everyone? This is something that we must wrestle with with God. God, what should my actions be like? What should my thoughts be like? Lord, how can I actually live at peace? It seems like there are many who don't want to live at peace with the way I believe. Friends, let me submit to you. To live at peace with everyone isn't by compromising. That is not the answer. And I'm afraid when I look around, I see many people, that is the default. Christians, they, they have beliefs, but because the pressure is on, they think living at peace means compromising those beliefs just to get along. But that is not the answer. It isn't by suddenly agreeing with everyone around us and changing our core beliefs of Scripture just to get along. You see, Hebrews 12, 14 doesn't end with the peace part. The whole verse says this. Listen very carefully because too often we stop with the peace part. The whole verse says this. Work at living in peace with everyone. I like how it says work. It's going to take work. All right? But it says, and work at living a holy life. Work at living in peace with everyone and work at living a holy life. For those who are not holy will not see the Lord. So God wants us to live at peace with everyone, but he doesn't want us to compromise to accomplish that goal. He wants us to live a holy life and live at peace. And so as much as it depends on us to control and allow the Lord's Spirit to control our attitudes and our actions without compromising our beliefs. Listen, I want to talk to the younger generation for just a moment, especially right now. There is so much pressure to join the bullies on social media, but please don't do it. Bullying is against the teachings of Scripture, and it ruins people's lives. Suddenly, Everyone has become very bold on their computers, on their phones. 
They praise one another for their clever put-downs, for their fiery diatribes against other people. But this is not the type of boldness that the Holy Spirit wants us to have. The Holy Spirit wants us to be bold in sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ with everyone, not ripping into each other. Listen to this. Pray, I pray that the Holy Spirit would touch your heart on this issue. You see, the cancel culture that we live in has destroyed friendships. It has destroyed families, and it is not of God. Someone listening to this might know exactly what I'm saying. You've been a victim maybe of bullies, trolls, they call them on the internet, or maybe you're regretting that you have behaved that way yourself online when ordinarily you would never have said those things to that person's face. And maybe the Holy Spirit is convicting you right now. You see, it seems impossible for our culture to tolerate free thinking, honest conversations, and being friends with someone that you disagree with. And to me, I find that very troubling because, friends, listen, if we're going to obey the Lord and the call that He's placed in our life to share the gospel and to love people just like God loves them, then we can't have the mindset that if we disagree with somebody that we cannot be their friend. We have to say God loves every person. God created them in His image. And we have to be willing to be civil and friends with people even if we disagree. Everything has become so hypercharged that to express anything that seems even remotely in opposition to popular culture makes you a terrible person that should be bullied and should be shunned. That's the way of the world right now. And this is the world that God was saying, don't fall in love with. Do not fall in love with that world. The world where you're just a keyboard warrior that knows how to put someone down with a, a very aggressive post and feel good about it because you said they were an evil person and they deserved it. Listen, that is so far from the calling that God has given to us as preachers and teachers of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Everyone needs to be saved. Everyone needs to be a friend of God. God loves everyone. Christians, don't fall into the traps of acting like the bullies. Work at living a holy life. Don't compromise. Love one another and love your neighbor as yourself. And when people see our love for each other, even with all our faults, they will know that we belong to Jesus. Jesus. So in this passage, James mentions three areas in our text that we need to focus on. The first one is found in verse 26, and that is our speech. If you claim to be religious, but you don't control your tongue, or how about your keyboard? How about your thumbs on your phone? You are fooling yourself, and your religion is worthless. Scripture teaches that it is the tongue that reveals our heart. If the heart is right, then the speech will be right. A controlled tongue means a controlled body. So let me ask you a couple of questions in regards to your speech. And I pray that you would contemplate these things, that you would think about these things and ask the Holy Spirit to reveal the answers in your life. How has your speech been lately? Have you been encouraging? 
How you've been loving? Have you been open-minded? Have you been understanding? Have you been willing to say, hey, let's have a conversation? How do you feel? This is how I feel. Are you able to have that kind of civil discourse with somebody? Why? Because the opportunity to share Christ might just come up. And Jesus is wanting to be a friend with those people. What is in your heart that needs to change? You see, because if it's coming out your mouth, if it's getting onto the keyboard, it's in your heart. What in your heart needs to change? Why are you angry? Why, why are you so fired up? Ask the Lord to bring a peace into your heart, to center you once again in your relationship with Jesus Christ, to ground you so that you understand his mission for your life. Your speech matters to God. Your heart, he wants all of it, not just a tiny piece of it. You can't say from one side of your mouth, I love you, Jesus, let me worship, let me sing these songs, and then later on you're out there tearing people, tearing people apart because of a political belief or some philosophy that you have. Listen, you have to love Jesus with your whole heart, and that comes out in your speech in your posts. The second part of this passage is found in verse 27, the first part of that, and that is our service. He says, pure and genuine religion in the sight of God the Father means caring for orphans and widows in their distress. You know what's even more powerful than words? It's our deeds of love. It's what we do for other people. Our deeds of love. This is from the Scripture. Listen, Christians. If we're not doing the good works that God prepared in advance for us to do, if we're not showing deeds of love, then we are missing what God is trying to do in us. God wants us. It's more powerful than your words. How many have known people that have talked a good talk, but they didn't walk the walk? They said a lot of things about compassion, but not once did they ever help anybody in their distress. If it's in your heart, then it's going to come out in your service. We can't just expect someone else to do the work for us. It's something that God expects all of us to do. You can't just pay for this work to be done. In other words, Christians, as we listen to the Lord and we worship Him, and we listen to the sermons, and we listen to teachings like this, we can't just go, oh, that's great, I receive it, I receive it. Now let me, you know, give a little bit of money so that our missionaries can do the good deeds. Let me give a little money so that someone else can go and do acts of love. Everybody can do something for someone else, whether it's a phone call, or whether it's a letter that you just write to somebody, or it's picking up some food and dropping it off to somebody at their house, or, or just stopping by and, and, and helping them maybe clean the house, or maybe mow the lawn, or maybe something you found out about their vehicle, and you know something about vehicles, and, and you go help them change the oil, or, or change that tire. Whatever it may be, those simple acts of love, God wants us doing them because it glorifies God, and it is pure and faultless to the Lord. It means that you really put into action what you say, that you are a worshiper of God, and you're following through with it. 
Why does he mention orphans and widows in this passage in particular? Why? Because those two groups of people in James's day, they suffered greatly. These would be people that would really be destitute. These people would really have nothing. These widows and these orphans. And it would be no fault of their own. And they were unlikely to repay. I think that might be the most important part of this. Why is it true and faultless to serve the widow and the orphan? It's because they can't give you anything in return. That's pretty pure. When you give of yourself to someone that can't give back to you, in other words, they aren't going to be able to scratch your back. They're not going to be able to turn around and, and repay you for what you did or, or anything. In fact, it might just be something you do and then it's forgotten about, you know, by and large. It won't be forgotten by them, but it, it will just be something they can't do anything to repay you. They're just going to have to say thank you and then we're just going to have to keep moving on with life. That's pretty pure when you're willing to say, I don't care about the reward. I don't care that anybody knew that I did that. I don't care if they can never repay me. I just feel this is from God to show Jesus Christ's love. That's pure. That's why he mentions the orphans and the widows. So let me ask you these questions to get you to think a little bit about this point and just allow the Holy Spirit to speak into your heart. In what ways have you been reluctant to help others? If you're honest, I think most of us would say we are reluctant to help people sometimes. I mean, I know a couple of notable exceptions because these people, they've got great hearts of compassion. And they are constantly helping people. And they've, that's just a ministry. They do it. But if you're anything like me, I'm a little more reserved. I'm a little more cautious. I, I'm a little more cynical. I hate to say it. But I don't believe everybody that comes to me. I don't, I don't, I, I, I believe in hard work too. And I, and sometimes I'm just like, you know what? You could need to help yourself. I could help you right now, but it's going to help you for one second. And then you're going to go on to 500 other people and ask them for the same help. It's just not going to, it's not going to avail anything. This kind of the way my thinking is. Am I, am I horrible? I mean, who's identifying with me out there? You, some other people must think the same thing. But I got to tell you recently, God convicted me. And I began to think about this, and I thought, you know, Jesus is a compassionate God. He cares about us, and he loves us unconditionally. And I began to think about that and started to think, you know what? I need to soften my heart for the Lord, for people. And I pray that you would join me in that. Who do you help? What kind of people do you help? When the Lord says the widows and the orphans, what kind of people do you help? Do you help people that can only return the favor? I mean, when you send out a card, if somebody doesn't give you a card in return, are you upset? When you give somebody a gift and they never think of you or give you anything, does that make you upset? Well, it might maybe if it's a family member or something. Sometimes we get that way. But I got to tell you, we need to get it in our heart that when we give, we should give purely from our heart and not worry about the return Thank you so much for this water. You can hear my voice cracking. All right, I'm going to take a drink of this water, and I'm going to ask you this one more question before I do. What about those who cannot repay you and return the favor? Who is like that in your life? Thank you so much, Pastor Anthony. Maybe the Holy Spirit is speaking to you 
And maybe after this teaching, God is going to help increase the compassion part of your heart. And when you do that, and when I do that, I believe we get closer to the heart of God. And I believe that our worship becomes more pure. Our worship becomes more pure. And the Lord will use us even more. All right, and then the third part is found in verse 27, the second half, and that is separation from the world. Friends, I hate to say it, but we need this message right here, separation from the world, more now than I think ever before, as it seems like the, the church, capital C, is sort of blending in with the world more and more and more. There's been so much research on this that the behaviors of Christians are really no different than the behaviors of non-Christians. There's so many studies about that. That's kind of sad because the calling of Jesus in Scripture is a radical calling. I mean, our life should be pretty different. And yet, we seem to behave almost the same way. As the children of God, we are in this world physically but not of the world spiritually. Think about that. We have to live here, right? So yeah, we go down to Safeway. We stop at Quick Trip. You know, we do all that like everybody else. That's not what I'm talking about. But what I'm saying spiritually is we're different. Spiritually, we've got a Lord. And when we got a Lord, how many know that when he's Lord, you got to say yes? If you can't say yes, then he's not Lord, Right? That's what it means to be Lord of your life. And you got a Savior, and that means you did nothing to deserve it. He paid the price for you, and all you did was put your faith and trust in Him alone, and you have the promise of eternal life. That's Lord and Savior. But i got to tell you, there's got to be a difference in the way you live. God's standards, God's holiness, God's calling to us is a, is a radical call. It's not an easy one. To pick up our cross and follow Him daily, that's not an easy call. That's about laying down our life. That's a call of sacrifice. So we have been sent into this world to win others for Jesus Christ. I don't know if you've ever felt that way before, but if you're a follower of Jesus, you're a sent one. You are a person who is sent by God. Wow. Wow. Really? Yes, it's true. Jesus was praying to the Father when he said these words in John 17, 18. Just as you sent me into the world, I am sending them into the world. Who's he talking about? He's talking about his disciples. He's talking about you and I. Even in the year 2020, we have been sent by Jesus. We cannot effectively serve others for Jesus' sake without separating ourselves from their ways of thinking and acting. The world has many good things that they do, but they should not be lecturing the church and setting the standard for what is holy. Christians, we have been set by Jesus, the only perfect one. He is our standard for what is holy. Don't allow the world to set your standards. The best way to minister to the needs of the world is to be pure from the defilement of the world. And by the way, some of the world doesn't even know that Jesus was sinless and lived a perfect life. They have been told or assumed that he was just a man and sinned like everyone else. Wait until they hear that he was born of a virgin. They really won't believe that. <laughs> All right? I think they might have a hard time. But church, I think we've got a lot of hard work to do. 
and sharing the gospel with the world around us. Wouldn't you agree? But what a call. What a privilege it is to serve the Lord Jesus Christ. And one day, when this life is over, we'll have an eternal reward, being able to spend an eternity in heaven with Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior.